Well, I have the honor of introducing my good friend, Sue Otten. Many, most of you remember Bill Otten. This, um, this is Bill's um, better half. I've actually known Sue Otten since before she was Sue Otten. And um, she moved to Dublin in 1983, I think. We've been, eight, yeah, in 84. And so she moved there to marry Bill. And so um, we've been close friends. She's been a mentor. She's been a friend. She's been my go-to. And women, you know what it was like? You need to cry. <laughs> you need somebody to talk to. She's my go-to. Through the life, we've both moved different places. And it's like path took us this way. And we, the Lord would just kind of bring us back together. So she's a great teacher. Um, I want to say this about her. I don't want to embarrass her. But um, what I, one thing I've learned a lot is just by watching her. And I want to give this one small testimony about her. Um, for a season, she was living in um, uh, Cincinnati area, Ohio, and she's part of a large church, and she was over the ladies' ministry there. And she would have, like, a big banquet with 300 women that she would be the speaker. If she'd organize it, she'd run it. She'd be the speaker. Well, then they moved back. They had moved for a season from Dublin. Then they moved back to Dublin. And, um, and she was trying to find her place in the church. And I was, we were just, I was over the children's ministry and we were starting up the junior high. Remember this, Sue? We were starting up the junior high. And we had like 12 kids in the junior high. And the only place we had for them is um, you had to go up the stairs to the classroom, the small classroom down at the end of the hall. You know what I'm saying? That just, that's the only place we could find room for them. And Sue offered to step in and take the junior high class and just go to the, you know, back of the hall in the, in the back is small classroom and teach half a dozen junior high and she faithfully did that and for a couple years and so just her willingness to serve anywhere where God led open the doors for kingdom purposes and her impact on those kids is immeasurable you know so I that I appreciate that's been a learning appreciate that heart there's it doesn't matter size influence where you, you see, hear what I'm trying to say to just anywhere Jesus leads us no matter the size, no matter where, no matter what it looks like, that we be vessels. And that's one of the things I've learned just by watching her, and I appreciate her heart. So anyway, Sue, if you'll come. She's a great teacher, y'all. So anyway, if you'll just come welcome her. And all we have is a hand mic. That's fine. I can do a handheld. Well, I'll tell you the reason the Lord, I think, asked me to do the junior high ministry was because, you know, when you do stand in front of a bunch of adults, when you get done, they come up and say, oh, man, that was so good. Thank you so much. Loved it, loved it. Well, junior hires don't do that. They not only don't tell you what a great job you did, they sit there and look at you like from your, you're from another planet and they look bored as can be. So the Lord worked in my heart during those years uh, to help me wean myself off of the need for affirmation. Amen? Well, Bill says hello. He's actually preaching in the church that we're a part of in Hilton Head this morning. Um, but he wanted me to say hello, and he told me you guys are a great group. He said you're easy to minister to. So uh, I, I um, just really felt like the Lord told me just to share some things with you. I know that you're a church that's kind of going through a transition and um, that you're finding yourself today uh, just moving from what was familiar to maybe what is a little unfamiliar. And uh, Bill and I have kind of been through a similar journey. We lived in Dublin for 17 years. And then the Lord, uh, Gilbert Posey, I don't know how many of you know Gilbert, uh, invited us to come to Hilton Head. And I went on staff at the church in Hilton Head. And a couple years into that uh, process, Gilbert left and Bill and I were there and transitioned into a senior leadership role at the church there. And then we just recently transitioned. We hired a new pastor, 28 years old. So everyone I work with on staff, I'm still on staff at the church. Everyone I work with on staff is under the age of 28. So I'm going through some transitions myself in learning how to work with millennials and how to work with younger people and try to get up under them and support them and what the Lord's called them to do. So I felt like if I had anything that I could share with you this morning that might be helpful in your journey, just to share with you some of the things the Lord's taught me and the transitions that we've been through probably over the past six years. And I know that uh, all of us as Christians, I think uh, we're, we're all in a journey and in a in the, where the scripture talks about that we're to be transformed 
from one degree of glory to another. And that is a daily process where every day I'm being conformed more and more into the image of Christ. And the Lord uses my daily circumstances, my relationships, my job, whatever, to help fashion and form me. He uses his word. He uses our times in worship to help form and fashion us into the image of Christ. But then there seems to be those seasons where we are thrust into what we call transitions. And it can be a job change. It can be a relationship change. I mean, just getting married is a transition, going from being single to married, from being a, a married couple to parents. I think all through life we go through these seasons where there, the transition's a little more intense. It's it, the, the familiar, the thing, the routine, the familiar, the place that we all like to settle. We call it the comfort zone. Um, that zone that we create for ourselves, we put boundaries around ourselves and we live within that zone. And God seems to want to push our boundaries and move us out and, and help us, I think, in our journey, continue to develop into what Christ wants us to be. So this morning, I thought I would just talk to you about some of the things that I've learned as I've walked through the transitions and the seasons that we've gone through. And I think um, sometimes we're forced into those seasons by choices other people make. And sometimes we make choices that force us into those. We make the decision to move. We make the decision to change the job. Um, other times people make those decisions for us. And so oftentimes we'll find ourselves there and we're forced out of like I said, what feels familiar into the unknown. And that, to me, is always a challenging season. And there's this, this need in us, I think, in our humanity, a need for certainty. See, I like certainty. I like to be certain about things and about when I get up today, I want to be certain about how my day is going to go. When I go to church on Sunday, I want to be certain about how the service is going to go. When I go to work, I want to be certain I'm going to get a paycheck, you know, at the end of the week. There's just things that we like to be certain about. And in our Christianity, there are some things we can be certain about. The blood of Jesus, the, the you know, the virgin birth, the work of the cross, the fact that God loves us. There are certain things that are certain but then there are elements in our lives that we have uncertainty. And we get, we get so uncomfortable with uncertainty. And it creates this, we get just full of, we can get full of fear and anxiety. We kind of get confused. We're just not sure anymore about who we are, who God is, what life's all about. It, am I still valued? Is there still purpose? And so we, that place of uncertainty creates this anxiety for us sometimes. And so we want to move back into certainty. And so we're, we're, we're sometimes really quick to try to figure out how to create that familiar again and that feeling of certainty and that feeling of a comfort zone. And one of the things that I've learned through my journey, I'm going to read you a couple quotes. Um, that it's not so much that we, we, we don't want change. I think all of us are hungry for change, but what is required to get that change sometimes is a challenge. And so I found these quotes. I thought they were so good. It says, it's not so much that we're afraid of change or so in love with the old ways, but it's that place in between that we fear. It's like being on a trapeze where you're letting go of one bar but don't quite have a firm grip on the other one yet. And it's like Linus when his blanket is in the dryer. There's nothing to hold on to. And I read, was uh, watching the new Winnie the Pooh movie not too long ago and the great philosopher Winnie the Pooh, who is a bear of very little brain, made this I thought, astounding statement, and he said, I always get to where I'm going by walking away from where I have been. 
And there is a, a, I think the Lord helps us move into a new day, move into a new place, and he helps us sometimes walk away from where we've been because if we had our choice, we might not walk away. And one of the things that I find in Scripture that that is God so often requires us to get up from where we are not having all the answers about where we're going. And Genesis 12, 1, the Lord said to Abraham, I want you to leave. And he said, I want you to go to a land that I will show you. So he's asking him to get up and to leave without having all the answers about where he's supposed to go. Didn't know where he was going to end up, but he knew he was supposed to leave. Jesus said to the disciples, he said, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. See, we want to be made fishers of men first. We want to have it all figured out first. We want to know what's required. We want to know the cost. We want to know what's going to be asked of us. And then we'll follow. We want to have it all certain. I want to know certain, for certain, what's going to be required. I want to know for certain what's going to be asked of me. But oftentimes, the Lord asks us to follow him, and as we go, things become clear. So, and it's that in-between space. It's when I'm letting go of one trapeze and don't quite have a hold on the other one yet. It's that space in between there where we sometimes aren't quite sure what to do. We're not quite sure what is, what is the, what's the focus right here? What am I, how should I be responding? And one of the things the Lord spoke to me in all the transitions that we've been through over the past six, seven years is that that in-between time of letting go but not quite having a firm grip on it yet is a place where we wait on the Lord. And that concept of waiting on the Lord, see, you might say to me, well, Sue, we are waiting on the Lord. We've been waiting on them, waiting for God to do something. But I discovered that waiting on the Lord is not sitting in your recliner watching TV. See, where we're just kind of waiting on God to show up and waiting on God to blow in and waiting on God to blow up and, you know, just do what God does. But waiting on the Lord is actually a very active thing where I am, it's a hyper focus. It is just like I am tuned in, I'm leaning in, I am engaged, I am expectant. That's what waiting on the Lord means. And it's interesting if you go ahead and turn with me to Isaiah 40, I'm going to start in Isaiah 40, and we're going to look at a few verses there. When we talk about the word wait, and then especially this particular word, there are several words in the Hebrew translated wait, um, but most all of them have the, the sense of waiting with great expectation. They all have the sense of anticipation, and it is a refined focus. It's a season of refined focus, and the root of the word actually means to bind together by twisting and being joined together. There's a lot of activity that goes on in a season of waiting on the Lord. See, sometimes we think waiting is standing on the bus corner. I know y'all don't probably have buses in Tifton, do you? You have buses? Probably not, no. Well, anyway, that's what comes to my mind, where you're standing on, on the corner waiting for the bus. You're just not, you know, if, if someone were to say, what are you doing? Oh, I'm waiting. You're not really doing anything. You might be on your phone, but you're not really doing anything productive because you're waiting. And see, that's not what a biblical concept of waiting is. Waiting in, when we talk about the season of waiting on the Lord, we are leaned in, we are focused, we, are, we have cleared our schedule, so we have concentrated times of really looking and expecting the Lord to do something and to speak and to say something. So in this passage of scripture in Isaiah, it says this in verse 28, it says, do you not know, I'm in Isaiah 40, verse 28, do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. 
That word for weary there means a fainting as if from a wearisome fight. God doesn't get tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks mighty increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord, that's the word, wait, those who lean in, those who are focused, those who have got their full attention on God, they're not sitting in their recliner watching TV hoping God shows up. They are pursuing, they are looking, they are expecting, they are focused. Those people, he says, will gain new strength. Now, that word gain in that portion of Scripture is very interesting. It doesn't mean that God's going to add to your strength. But that word gain there actually means exchange. It actually means to put on new clothes. It means to take off what you've got on and you put on something new. So when you, uh, when you are in a season of waiting and you are focused and anticipating and looking to and spending time with the Lord, there is actually a transaction that happens between you and God. And God takes your weaknesses and exchanges it for his strength. He you take off your clothes of limitation, your clothes of weakness, your limited perception of things, and you get God's strength, God's ability, God's perception. So that when I come up out of that season of waiting, the scripture says this, it says that I will mount up with wings like an eagle. I will run and not get tired, and I will walk and not be weary. So that when I come out the other side of a transition, a season of waiting on the Lord, I come out of that season full of power, full of might, full of strength, ready to press into what the Lord has for me today. So that in the days ahead, I can run, and I can fly, and I can walk in a newness of strength strength and might in the Lord. So it's not a, not a, a, a passive, laissez-faire, what will be will be time. It is a time to actively engage with the Lord. So as I began to meditate on this and I began to think about, Lord, who in the scripture is a good example of, of someone who made transitions? And there are so many of them when you start looking for them in the scripture um, but the Lord began to speak to me through the life of Moses. And the Lord said this to me. He said, God wants to work in you so he can do something through you. He wants to work in you. See, he's got to work in you first. The, we partner with God in the earth. Your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We partner together with the Lord. And the Lord will work in me first to prepare me for what he wants to do through me. So when I look at the life of Moses, interesting that the name Moses means to be drawn out. And uh, Moses, it, throughout several seasons of his life, was being drawn out. Of course, his first season was he was drawn out of the Nile, found by Pharaoh's sister. And, but the, his early years in life were actually spent in the home of his parents. And scholars will tell you anywhere from three to ten years, Moses was probably in the home of his parents. Both of his parents were from the Levitical tribe, his mother and his father. So here is Moses in the early season of his life with Levitical priest and his Levitical wife pouring into him for anywhere from three to ten years. And then the, Moses transitions out of their home and goes into the palace. And when he gets into the palace, Moses is educated by the best educators that were in Egypt, the best generals, the best philosophers, the best artists. He was educated by the best of the best. And then the Lord takes Moses up out of that environment and sends him out into the wilderness. Well, there's an interesting passage of scripture um, in Hebrews if you turn with me to Hebrews 11, and let's look at verses 24 and 25. This is talking about Moses. 
And it says this, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now, when I read that one day, the Lord began to speak to me that in a season of transition, just like Moses was making transitions, we make transitions, and there are some things that I have to reject and say no to, and some things I have to choose. Because, see, for me to move into a new day, there are some things about the way I see myself that I have to reject and say no to. When the Lord took me, uh, and six years ago, Gilbert came and asked me to come on staff at his church, the tr my training for ministry was motherhood, and I'm an occupational therapist by trade. I've been in I've been in ministry all my life, being married, or all my married life, being married to Bill. I've done a lot of teaching, a lot of ministry in the local church. But there was an identity shift that I had to transition into to be able to fulfill my responsibilities in Hilton Head. I had to begin to see myself as a leader in the body of Christ. Now, see, I had to deal with some mindsets that I had. See, women what is a woman's role in the church? And I'm not here to open that can of worms. I'm not, I'm not, that's a controversial issue. All I'm going to tell you is this. I had to deal with some mindsets I had about myself. I had to let God, what God said about me be true. I had to say no to some of the ways I perceived myself and yes to what God was saying. And every season of transition, God will deal with us to help us see more clearly who we are and who he is. So I've got to embrace what God is saying about me, be willing to do just what Moses did, to refuse some things and to say yes to some things. And so because God wants to change me on the inside so that he can do a new thing through me. See, I can't move into a new day with old thoughts, old, old identities, old perceptions. I have to embrace new thoughts. We call them new paradigms. And that's what waiting is all about. It's a, the activity of God on the inside of me preparing me for what he's calling me to do in the days ahead. So it's a very active time. So Moses said no to what would have been an easy identification so he could say yes to the identity God had for him. And then from there, Moses goes into the desert and he spends 40 years of solitude where God dealt with his self-sufficiency. See, every season of life, God's after, he's working. He's working, transforming us, changing us. Moses had to have his self-sufficiency dealt with so that he could not rely on his own strength to be a deliverer, but could rely on the power of God. So those things in Moses that were arrogant and prideful, God had to deal with that on the inside of him so Moses could reach up to God, reach for something outside of himself, a strength outside of himself to find the ability to do what God had called him to do. So all through life, we're going through these transitions, and I... Uh, just want to encourage you that in this season that you find yourself in as a body, in your journey as a body, God has is at work on the inside of us. So I want to encourage you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I want you to let me hear what you're saying to me today. I want you to to do whatever you want to do on the inside of me to prepare me for who I need to be so you can use me and work through me in the days ahead. See, we get real comfortable with how we've done things. We're just real comfortable. And sometimes the Lord wants to challenge how we're doing things. And see, when we, as you read, in, into the book, read through the rest of the life of Moses, Moses had a challenge at the end of his life. And there's, I, I, like I said, I think our, our, our challenge to change is, is throughout our lifetime here on earth. Moses missed the transition in his latter years. And y'all know his, the story, but 
Moses, at the end of his life, right before they were getting ready to go into the promised land, they were needing water again. And so the Lord told Moses to go strike the rock or to speak to the rock. I'm sorry, to speak to the rock. And Moses, we all know, hit the rock instead of speaking to it. And there, there, Moses, in his frustration from walking with the children of Israel through those years in the desert, Moses, in his frustration, knew what God wanted done. God wanted water out of the rock, but he missed the how. And see, it's not just important that we know what God wants done. We need to know how he wants it done. What is the spirit in which I need to say this? What is the spirit in which I need to do this? How does God want this done? And see, what happens sometimes as we go through life, we can get cynical. Y'all know what a cynic is? A cynic is someone who looks in on a situation and based on previous experience writes the end of the story and never factors God in. So we write the end of the story before it needs to be written without God because I know how this is going to end. I know what's going to happen here. I know how this person's going to end up. That's a cynic. But see, based on experience, we take that experience and we throw it into our current circumstance and we determine the outcome apart from the current activity of God. That's a cynic. And that's what Moses did. See, Moses at one time in his life demonstrated the righteous anger of God when he was coming down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. Children of Israel were having a party with a golden calf. Moses took the Ten Commandments and he threw them down and shattered them. And he was demonstrating what God wanted done in the heart that God wanted it done. At the end of his life, I think due to the difficulty and the challenges that he faced in his journey, Moses knew what God wanted, to done, wanted done, but he missed the how. See, I don't want to get there in, in my journey with the Lord because all of us have had challenges, difficulties, disappointments. People disappoint us. We all get wounded. We all get hurt. And if I don't, in my season of waiting, part of that season is for God to deal with those wounds, those hurts, those disappointments, so that I don't become a cynic in the days ahead and say, based on what happened back here, I know how this is going to end. And we don't factor God in. We write the end of the story before it needs to be written. Now, one of the, I think, the greatest gifts that I am being given working with millennials is, is they are so permission granting. See, they haven't been bit in the butt yet. Their, their leadership is new. They haven't been betrayed yet. They haven't had some of the challenges that you're going to face. And so they are so permission granting. They're so trusting. But in working in that environment, it's made me realize I've become a cynic. You don't want to ask that person to do that because I know what they did five years ago. You know, you don't factor in the grace of God working on someone's heart. So that's what waiting on the Lord is for. It's for God to do a work in you so he can work through you in a new day. So Moses, I think, is such an awesome example. You know, as you keep moving forward into the Joshua Oh my gosh, he made an awesome transition. He transitioned from a slavery mindset to a warrior mindset. We, he, the children of Israel never left their fear and unbelief. Joshua and Caleb transitioned from wanderers to possessors. And the key that I think this passage in Exodus 33 is such a key that when Moses returned to the camp, Joshua, the son of Nun, would not depart from the tent of meeting. That after Moses left the tent, Joshua hung out in the presence of the Lord. What was he doing? He was waiting. He was waiting on the Lord. So when the day came for them to go in and possess the land, Joshua was ready. 
His heart had been dealt with. His mindset had been changed. His paradigms had been broken. He no longer had a slavery mindset. He was ready to lead those people into the promised land. How powerful, how important is a time of waiting on the Lord. Actively focused, tuned in, full attention, expectant, anticipating God to speak and do things and confront things and say things to us as we move forward. Amen? There's so many examples. You know, I, I love the story of Ruth in the scripture. Probably one of my favorite stories in the scripture where Ruth is a Moabite, the history of the Moabites. You know, when, when Lot ran from uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and his wife, you know, turned into the pillar of salt, he takes his two daughters up into the mountains and the daughters are afraid they're never going to have children. So they have an incestuous relationship with their dad and they get pregnant. And out of that relationship, Moab is born. So the Moabites are these kind of lower class, scum of the earth kind of people. And so here is Ruth, the scripture says, I think it says five or six times in that short little book, Ruth the Moabite. And I think God was making a point. She was a Moabite. She was an idolatrous Moabite who had an encounter with God through her mother-in-law, and she makes the transition to becoming a dedicated follower of Jehovah. She transitioned. Wasn't afraid, and she risked so much. She was going to go to a land where there was no promise of a future for her. But she knew God and she could trust him, and she transitioned from that being a Moabite into being, uh, she's actually in the lineage of Jesus Christ. So wow, how important it is that we allow God to change mindsets. We allow him to deal with our stuff so that in the days ahead we can, we can, be a, we can partner with him in the earth. You know, one of the sad stories in the New Testament is the rich young ruler, and in Matthew 19, we won't go there just for lack of time, but the rich young ruler, Jesus was giving him an opportunity to transition. And he said to him, go sell all you have. He was dealing with his identity because, see, he was rich and he was a ruler. He was asking him to sell everything he had and follow me. So we went from being a rich ruler to having nothing and being a follower. That's an identity shift. He couldn't make the shift. He never transitioned. He walked away disappointed. And I'm sure it broke the heart of the Lord. He settled when he was supposed to transition. Now, I love this, this, this passage of Scripture in Luke 10. And we won't turn there just because I'm going to try to be done. I know y'all have a, some things you want to do after I'm done this morning. Um, but the whole story of Martha and Mary in Luke 10, oh, my gosh, you know, to me is such a beautiful example of what it means to wait on the Lord. And see, Mary had to transition in her mindset to position herself to wait on the Lord because culturally what Mary was doing in that passage of Scripture sitting at the feet of Jesus, was culturally unacceptable. So Mary had made a transition in her mindset that although my culture tells me sitting at the feet of the rabbi is unacceptable, Jesus opened a door and the kingdom culture was, come and sit and listen to my voice. So Mary made the transition into a kingdom culture that her sister Martha was struggling to make. Because, see, in a moment when she should have been waiting on the Lord and sitting and listening, Martha was busy. And, see, that's the way we can respond in a time of transition. We can just get busy. Let's just get busy. Let's just do some things. But that season of waiting on the Lord is very strategic. You know, it's interesting in that passage of Scripture, when it talks about Martha, 
it says that Martha was anxious and worried and bothered about so many things. And that Greek word there actually means a dividing care resulting in a distracted heart. It's an inward uneasiness and it results in outward confusion. Amplified Bible says, overoccupied and too busy with earthly things. Martha became overoccupied and too busy. I think in its season of waiting, when we're waiting on the Lord to clarify, make things clear, when we're waiting on the Lord to just show us the details, we might have a general idea of what the Lord is saying, but we don't want to just know the what. We want to know the how. I need to wait on the Lord for the Lord to speak to my heart and impress upon my heart the how, the heart attitude, the, 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 the mindset, the, how he wants it done. That comes from waiting. That comes from sitting at the feet of Jesus. That comes from hearing his voice and listening, from pulling myself away from the distractions of the world. And we live in a highly distracted world. I mean, I carry my distraction in my purse. It's called my iPhone. I mean, we are so, we live in, so, we, in, in we're, we're so afraid of solitude. You know, I love the idea that Moses spent 40 years in solitude in the desert. 40 years, come on. We can hardly do 40 minutes. We get uncomfortable if we're alone sitting 40 minutes. But there's something that happens in solitude that I don't believe can happen any other way. We are the lost art of just sitting quietly, learning to quiet our thoughts and focus them in on the Lord, spending time in his word, spending time in worship, sitting before the Lord, waiting on God, and, and it's never, ever a wasted time. We always get this, I should be doing something. You know, we feel like we're just, we should be doing. We're doers. We're Marthas. And we need to be Marys. Make the transition to sitting at the feet of Jesus, especially when you're in a season of transition and your journey as a church. I know you guys have been a church for a long time. And you're now in a new, you're in a place of transition. And so I want to encourage you to take the time to wait on the Lord. It says this in, in Luke 10, Mary chose the good part. See, the good part has to be chosen. It has to be chosen. It's an act of my will. I have to choose to sit, cut out all the distractions, focus on the Lord, wait for him, knowing that as I do this activity, even if I don't feel anything, there is a transaction happening and an exchange happening between me and God. He's getting my weakness, he's getting my junk, and I'm getting his strength and his clarity and his wisdom and his counsel, and I'm getting his heart so that when I stand up to obey and respond, I have the not just the what of God, but I have the how of God. Amen. Amen. God wants to work in me so he can do something through me. So if you don't remember anything else I've said today, remember that phrase. God wants to work in me so he can do something through me. Amen? Hallelujah. So remember, God wants to make an exchange so you can walk, run, and fly in the days ahead. Amen? Amen. Good work, yeah. Can I just say one thing? I just thought about when she was teaching about Moses and his frustration. The thing, there is a, um, earlier in the passage, Moses cries out to God one time when he's frustrated with him. He says, God, you know, I'm, it's almost like he's saying, take me away. He says this, get me out of this place because of the potential inside of me. It's like he knew his own weakness. I'm not sure if I'm saying this very well. But he, that thing in him of anger and frustration, to me, it sounds like he never got that completely settled. And dealt with because that's what kept him out of the promised land. That thing that God wanted to do with him and anger for me is, you know what I'm saying? It's one of those I'm constantly. Rah, 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 rah. So anyway, I just want to throw that out. That was free. So we have something very important to talk about. Good word. Good word. Good word. Change. Change is not a sit around do something. Wait. Wait is an action word. When you're waiting on the Lord, you're. There's something going on when you're waiting on the Lord. You're not just sitting around waiting. It, it, it's, it takes action. 
Uh, Miss Laurel, she taught a couple of weeks ago about God changing the paradigm, and, and he does. I mean, we to, for us to get to where we're going, we've got to do things different than what we've been doing. We've got to change. We've got to leave from where we've been and walk over there to that door to get out that door. I can't stay here and get out that door. I've got to walk over there to that door and go through that door. Langston talked on Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. The assignment's still the same, is to go and possess the land. The assignment has not changed. It is to go and possess the land. And, you know, you hear people for the last 10 or 15 years, they're talking about tired of doing church as normal. But if you look around, 90% of them, say that it's just an excuse not to come to church we're tired of doing church well I just hadn't been because I'm tired of doing church as normal what 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 what's you know the scripture says to not forsake yourself to assemble another brethren so that's that's scriptural so why are you why are you uh not being scriptural if you're tired of doing church as normal that's no excuse not to come and gather with the body you're just tired of doing things the same old way and we've got to change our mindset Tradition has got in the way. Religion has got in the way. And it, it was, my daddy said it's the religious people that crucified Jesus. So you can throw religion out the door, just like with the rich young ruler. Have you kept, Jesus asked him, have you kept all the mammoths? You, you know, not kill, not steal, you know, uh, honor thy father and mother. Yes, I've kept them all. He said, well, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. But he didn't, he didn't honor the first commandment, which is, Thou shalt have no other God before me. That's the first commandment, is put Jesus first. And we know that he didn't have money. Money had him because he couldn't get rid of it. He couldn't part with it. So it's tradition, religion, all of that stuff that we have been taught over the years, it's got to change. You've got to wash that stuff away. It's not just coming to church hearing a few songs, hearing somebody preach the word, and you go out and your conscience is clear, that's not church. That's just, that's just coming and gathering together, which is good. But being the church, being the church, that is an that is action word. Being the church is action. It's not just sitting around doing nothing. It's actually going out and possessing the land possessing the land, touching, touching lives, touching lives, possessing the land, touching lives, taking back what the devil has stolen. That is being the church. So thank you, Miss Sue. A timely word, a good word, just a real good word. But uh, I want to bring up Cornell right now. I think he's got uh, a few things he wants to say to the body, and then we'll, we'll go from there. Amen, amen. Thank you, thank you. <clears throat> I was reading in Luke 7 real quick that the Lord brought this to my, to my heart. It says that there's this centurion, he has a sick servant, and he comes to Jesus. It's a familiar story. You know, he says, you know, I'm not even worried that you come over into my house. Just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. Because I have soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go. And I say to this one, come. And the one goes and the one comes. And then I have servants and I say, do this. And he does it. You know, and <clears throat> me coming here was at the word of the Lord when he said, go. Go to Tifton. And, and I came to Tifton. And just like I received orders in the military, and you'd get them like that, and you'd have to drop everything that you'd do to, to fulfill those orders, you know, that's what I did in coming here. And, and over this year... Before any of this other transition, you know, the Lord started to speak a, a word to me to really go back to Valdosta. And, you know, what else can I do other than obey the word of the Lord, you know? Um, but I say all that to say that just like Miss Sue was saying, we all have seasons of transition. And those transitions are never comfortable because in order to transition it moves us from a comfort zone into the very place that God is moving us individually or corporately us being part of that so I just really I really want you all to be in prayer for me as to 
exactly what that looks like. All right, I, I'm going to be here for another two months, approximately. Um, and I'll be sent out, just like I was sent here, I will be sent back out to Valdosta. And as far as I know, I may be saying this wrong, and Brother Casey would come fix it. Um, the past few years, there hasn't been much sending back or sending out. There's, there's been leaving. <laughs> But there hasn't been a lot of transitioning and leaving well. So one thing, at least I, I can say that I'm at peace in my heart, is that this transition isn't just a transition that I'm, I've made just by myself. You know, that, that Miss Laurel, that, that Brother Langston, that Brother Casey, that, that Mike, you know, above us. You know, everyone's in agreement that, you know, this is, this is what the Lord's saying. And, yeah, we don't like it. <laughs> But it's, it's what he's saying, and, and it has to happen. You know, if, if it's what he's saying, then it has to happen. It cannot not happen. You can delay it, but it, it has to come to pass because that's what he's declaring. He's not going to change his mind, all right? So um, I am excited for what God has. I, I, I really feel like I, I can't see what he has, but I, you get to maybe, like, peek through, like, the keyhole a little bit for what God has, and, and I'm really excited for what he's doing, that, that he has not brought this body this far to leave it. And at the end of the day, you know, when I'm sent back down to Valdosta in two months, it's not going to be goodbye. It's going to be see you later. It'll be see you around. You know, I will be back, you know, whether it's to preach or just to come visit on a Sunday. So I don't know. That's really all I... I got for right now, Brother Case. I don't want to get, you know, too far down the rabbit hole and I can't get back out of it. But at the end of the day, I'm, I've, I've developed relationships here that, that I know will last a lifetime. And, 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 and ministry that I've done here just doesn't stop, you know, when I leave. You know, there'll be times of me coming back and, and being able to maintain those relationships. So I look forward, even in this transition, to what the Lord does. To, to what he wants to do. And me leaving is a transition for the body as well. So it's, there's this, there's just transition all around, but God's greater than our transition. He's so much greater. And, and he's looking for us to find that, 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 that peace in him in the midst of transition, storm, testing, whatever it is that supersedes, you know, uh, uh, how we feel in our soul or, or, or what we're unwilling to, to let go of or that, that comfort that he's really wanting to to, to, for us to find in him. So I'm, I'm, there's a level of excitement, but there's also a level of, it's, it's a bittersweet transition. Um, but I, I, I'm thankful that it's a healthy one. I, I'm so thankful that it's a healthy one. And like I said, it's, it's see you around, um, but it's not goodbye. All right. So Brother Casey, love you guys. And I'll still be here for a while. <laughs> Can you say change is good? Change, change is not a, it's not a bad word, you know, and, and I'm, I'm going to miss Cornell, you know. I mean, he, a lot of times after church, he'll, he'll come to the house and he'll, he'll grub with us. <laughs> and so we've got a relationship. So, you know, being said that, it's not like uh, Cornell is, is leaving our lives, you know. He's just, his place of residence is just changing. So he's going to still be a part of our body there's no way he can't be you know he's still a part of us and I would just like to say in front of all of you that I have never questioned this man's integrity I've never questioned his motives I've never questioned his heart and there's there's never been any drama involved around anything that, that he's come here and done and I just that's that's uh a commodity that you don't see a lot of these days, you know, so I, I appreciate you, Cornell, and what you've done, and, and uh, you know, I don't think we're going to pray you out today because you're still here, but we're just going to bless you anyway and just say bless you, and, and we honor what the Lord is speaking to you. I can't say, well, you know, as, as one of the elders here, I don't think you need to do that, you know, because I can't tell you what God's laid on your heart, you know, but I trust that you are hearing from God, and and I'm at peace with it, you know, it's because, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, I might not have been because of the way I would let my mind see things and not let my heart see it. But he is still 
a part of this body. No matter where his location is, he is still a part of this body. And, you know, I have a brother that uh, we live uh, a county apart. We don't see one another every day, but he's still a part of my family. And, you know, I can call him whenever I want, uh, go see him whenever I want. Call, you know, so it's the same with Cornell. It's not, it's not like he's going to Russia or somewhere. He's just going to Valdosta. So, you know, I, it's, it's good. And, and uh, if, if it's of the Lord, then he would, he would be doing wrong by staying here. And it wouldn't be good for him and it wouldn't be good for us. Because, you know, if, if, if God is moving him out... He's certainly a big enough God to know who's coming to take his place. So, you know, at the end of the day, Jesus is Lord. At the beginning of the day, Jesus is Lord. That's all that matters is Jesus is Lord. And we're going to focus what we do around Jesus and, and center our lives and, and our minds and, and, and just everything is going to be focused around Jesus. We're going to put Jesus in the center. And this body is going, and it's going to possess the land. It's not going to look like probably what some of us thought it might look like, but, but change is good. And we're going to take that land. We're going to finish that assignment that God has called us to. And it's going to take each and every one of us supplying their, their, their gift, their talents, what, what you have to bring to the table. It's not a one-man show. It's a corporate operation that, that God has called each one of us here together to be a part and, and to lend what part that we have to offer to, to do what he's called us to do. And we will possess that land. We will carry on like God has called us to carry on. So, Brother Bill, Brother Langston, do y'all, any of y'all have any, y'all have, you got anything to say? Brother Bill? Miss Inez, you got anything? All right. Well, Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that this is the day you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Father, we thank you, Lord, for everyone that's here today. Lord, for the ones that couldn't make it, Father, we just ask you to bless them. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the excitement, Lord, that's, that's in this body. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for the change, Lord, that has taken place, Father. I thank you, Lord, that, that, that we're allowing you to change us, Lord. And Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would just give us a deeper revelation of the way that you would have us to do things, Father, and, and, and the things that you would have us to change, and the things that, Lord, are good, we keep, and the things that are not good, Father, we, we just throw it away. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, for Sister Sue Otten coming and just just coming and ministering and just bringing us that word, Father. I bless her. Lord, I bless, bless Brother Bill, Father. I just pray your hand be upon them, Father, in everything that they do. Father, I just ask you, Lord, to go with us now, lead us and guide us, and just bring us back here, Lord, at the next appointed time. And I just declare everybody be blessed in the name of Jesus.